Well, good morning. I'm Joel. It's good to be with you today. And uh, we hope that you're ready for the Word of God just to open it up and to dive into it. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what's going to be happening today and next week. So if you've been coming here regularly for a while, you know that we've been walking through the book of Hebrews. We're going to pick that back up in a couple of weeks. Um, and we're going to better conclude with chapters 12 and chapter 13 in Hebrews starting in just a couple of weeks. Uh, today and next Sunday, what I get to talk to you about is what really makes us up as a congregation. Why do we do what we do? How do we function? What really dictates and guides us? All those different things. Why? Because if you're here last Sunday, how many were here last Sunday? Any, okay, most of you at least. Um, many of us got hit by lightning, and I would tell you that last Sunday this church got hit by lightning. This church got hit by lightning. If you don't know what I'm talking about by being hit by lightning, by understanding the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what that does to change us, to change individuals, to change families, to, to determine how we walk through life differently. If you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, go back, watch some of that. But long story short, Middle East, some people there, they're literally slaves, make bricks every day. They came to know Jesus, and now those brick owners who are Muslim, wants everybody else to be hit by lightning, not knowing the ramifications of that from people coming to know Jesus Christ. All right? So, those are some things that we learned last week that we have been hit by lightning because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we want you to know really why we are who we are. So, um, let's just start by this. Um, I'm going to say one, two, three. You clap because we've been hit by lightning, right? One, two, three. So we have been hit by lightning. Today you're going to be forced to determine if you have truly been hit by lightning as an individual, with your family, with friends, and what that means for your life. Um, I'll, I'll give you another example, not to go far into this. Um, anybody know who Bruce Banner is? Raise your hand. See Incredible Hulk, people. He's related to Bruce Wayne, who is my uncle, Batman. <laughs> and they're close. Um, so Bruce Banner, every generation knows Bruce Banner because they keep recycling the movies, right? Bruce Banner, normal guy, looks like this. He gets angry, and then he turns green and large. Shirts rip off. Watch this. Ready? Oh, okay, nothing, right? But you know... You know, there's no, there's no similarity to Bruce Banner and an Incredible Hulk, size-wise, color-wise, or anything else. If you have been hit by lightning, your life should be so significantly different than it was prior. That people look at you and go, wait, that is not, that's not the same person. So we're going to examine who we are as a church, what this means for you, uh, as we're able to dive into all of this. Because as a church, who we are really does matter. You're going to hear a lot of scripture today. You're going to hear five key values, but with a lot of scripture in each of these values. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask that you write them all down. Each of the values is going to have a biblical person that you can go to and go, oh, this is why they are who they are. This is what it looks like for this to be made manifest within the, the, these individuals. Um, one of the things, because we so firmly know who we are we know who we're not and what we don't allow so we don't like we don't allow for discord for disunity we don't allow for dissension we don't allow for people who put preferences over the word of god we'll simply come to you and say that's not going to work here there's another church down the street right i mean it's just that simple for us 
Because what we're called to, we know so deeply what we're called to. Very shortly, uh, very simply, we're called to make sure that we're fully sold out to the full gospel of Jesus Christ. There is not a partial gospel. There's only a full gospel. We are a conservative church, which means we believe in the fullness of the word of God, but we're not legalistic or dogmatic. We don't make up rules that are not in the word of God, right? We adhere to the word of God. We are going to love other people in radical ways, even when they are taking advantage of us. We're still going to walk open handed we're going to engage in our community in every single way we possibly can to love them to encourage them but to always push them to the scriptures no matter what we're going to call out for God's wisdom God's discernment at all times that's simply who we are we're about the word of God and you're going to hear about more how that plays out here in this church this is where I first want to go with you first uh, first couple of sentences of Acts reminds us of and there are some things you're going to hear, you're going to like, I've heard that before. There's a reason why. You've just got to know certain things. Jesus Christ promised Holy Spirit will come amongst us. I have a gift for you. So in Acts chapter 1, he has his ascension. Also, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes upon people. Holy Spirit, there in the first sentences of Acts, reminds us the Spirit of God had not been given, but Jesus said his Holy Spirit was going to come and baptize. And then he says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so in Acts chapter 2, this is the birth of the New Testament church, something crazy happens. After Jesus' ascension, Acts chapter 1-8, the followers go back to Jerusalem. They're waiting because Jesus had told them to go there. Holy Spirit falls upon them, and something crazy happens. The, the, the Holy Spirit fills the room. Um, where the disciples were, sound of rushing wind broke through, filled the house, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we have come up to see is the New Testament church is born. Because the Holy Spirit fell upon their life. They had been hit by lightning. One, two, three. They had been hit by lightning. That was horrible. But they had been hit by lightning. They had been hit by lightning in a way in which all this, everything changed. Everything shifted in that moment. Now, uh, this church is so adamant about the Word of God and what God has called us to. We are unrelenting in it. You're going to hear, you know that we're unashamed of the Word of God completely. Like, let's go. We're going to preach the Word of God no matter what. Uh, it may convict you, and you may not like me. That's typically what happens. Some people get offended. Oh, there's too much conviction. But we know conviction is a, what is it? Anybody know? Conviction is a blessing. Conviction is a blessing. We know this, friends. Conviction is a blessing because it's God speaking into your life, Holy Spirit speaking into your life, saying, hang on, there's something not right. I have a call in your life or, hey, you're stepping into this. And so you don't feel right about it, right? And so you, you feel uneasy. And when someone calls you out on it, out of your immaturity, you get offended and you walk away. But conviction is a blessing. Conviction is Holy Spirit speaking into your life, saying, no, I want you to be aligned with God immature people don't like it they get ticked off and they leave i can't believe you called me blah blah blah. blah. it's not your right to judge i'm not judging i'm simply telling you the word of god god is convicting you have the responsibility to be mature enough to respond to that in a biblical way it's that simple and these are values that you're going to hear today that this is what took place because many of you some of you know this many of you do not what happened i've been um I'm always, I'm Joel, I'm one of the pastors here. You hear this a lot, right? There's a reason for that. I'm, technically, I'm the lead pastor. 
um, which means if something goes wrong, they get to blame me, right? A lot of other things, too. That's, what, that's what kind of where, where it goes. But this is what takes place. Is, so I've been here for almost eight years. Next month will be eight years. It's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun um, to walk through snow in June. And so as we, literally, it's snowing tomorrow. God has such a sense of humor, such a sense of humor. Um, I'll tell you what, funny guy. Um, so here we are, been here almost eight years. They came up with what you're about to hear right now, the leadership, the, the lay leadership of this church said, you know what we don't want to do is we don't want to do what most churches do. Now, if you've been in church, you're going to recognize this story. Most churches, they need, a, they need a pastor, they need somebody to come lead it, and so what they do is they go hire a certain person who they kind of like. They're like, hey, I kind of like this guy. They believe similarly than what we believe, and we think he may do a good job reaching our families or caring for our needs, whatever it is. And so then that church ends up being shaped around that person's personality or who that individual is, and even their doctrine, their theology, and everything else shifts and goes, oh, there, that's, I guess that's who we are now. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes? This church said no. This church said, we know who we are. Here's what the word of God says. Here are the values that really resonate with us after months and months of prayer. They wrote them down, and then they went out, and they said, we're going to hire somebody who we think can help do that, but nothing else. Isn't that brilliant? I tell other churches all the time. I'm meeting with one right now. i got to meet with them again later this week. And I'm, I tell them, I'm like, hey, this is what you should do. Determine who you are first. Know what God has called you to. Go find someone to do that as long as it's the word of God. And they're like, we've never thought of this before. That's, wow, that's amazing. I'm like, well, it wasn't my idea. All right? So they, they looked at the word of God and they said, this is who we are. And today you're going to be challenged to, to determine whether or not this is who you are. Is this who you are? Because, this church is, like, if you step into a church, and you're like, oh, and you've been going to a church a while, and you go, man, that church is unfriendly, you're the, you're the reason. They're just modeling you, by the way, because you're the church. That's so why we have so many greeters. Somebody literally told me, like, I think you have too many greeters. I'm like, no, we do not have too many greeters. We need more people helping in the parking lot. We need more people helping at doors. We need more people on the street in Baldwin, I guess. I don't know. No, those are cops. But we need... Go tell them about Jesus. And so here we are. We do need to do that. That just hit me. Somebody needs to make sure they know Jesus. But um, so I look at this and I say, wait a second. As a ministry now, as a church, what we have to do is we need to know that a church is simply comprised of its people. You're the parts. So if you've been going to a church a while, and maybe this is for some people who typically go somewhere else, but you're watching online. If you go to a church and you're like, well, I don't like how, how negative they are or how they always complain, look in the mirror because usually it's just a reflection of the people of the church. That's it. That's all it is. Well, they're not friendly. I've been going here for 27 years, and it's not a very friendly church. Look in the mirror. It's because you're crotchety and old and mean. And you, get, you tell people to move out of your seat. That's where I sit. And you don't even know if they know, they know Jesus Christ or not. You have not been hit by lightning. Seriously. Well, you know, I usually park there. There's not enough parking over there right now. It's called a movement of God. There's not going to be enough. I pray that next week we don't have enough parking at the schools. That you have to walk from your home. No, why, why not? Right? I went to Uganda. Man, this is going to be a long service. Just get ready. <laughs> I, I know there's another one coming, but they can, they can wait. Um, something. <laughs> I go to Uganda, and there's a guy who walked 16 miles hoping to get his first Bible. 
one way. So we gave him two. Why would we not do that if you've been one, two, three, hit by lightning? What's wrong with us? So this is who we are. I'm about to tell you who we are. Because we want to be a church that is so full of Christ, that God is so prevalent here, just like in the New Testament, so thick among us that we are quick to praise, we're eager to, eager to serve, we're passionate in our prayer, we're easy to repent. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. This is the first one for you to write down. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And I'm going to go super fast, but you've got to hear it. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. That's you if you've been hit by lightning. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, meaning the cornerstone of any house. Nothing can be built with, with, in, in the proper manner, with strength and the foundation it needs, if it's built off of anything other than the cornerstone. So anything in your life, if it's not built off of Jesus Christ, at some point it's going to collapse and it's going to go wrong, then you're going to blame God and he's going to go, well, you didn't build it off of me. Why is my marriage, if God really loves us, why are we trying so hard? Because you never even gave your marriage to Jesus. Everything should be built off of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure, everything is joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place, to a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what we're trying to do. We're going to be unrelenting to do that very thing. It means we even need to know when we have gotten off track, which is that conviction thing with the need to repent. We want to be eager to repent. We want to be the first people to offer it to God. Galatians 5, 24. Those who, who belong to Christ, having, right, they crucify the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. So you recognize things in your life and you go, God, I'm sorry, and you repent. You know that he's gracious and forgiving and kind, and he'll do that very thing. So this is who we are. Very first thing. Values that we're built off of. Very first value that we're built off of is we pray regularly that God's presence would be palpable in this place. That God's presence would be palpable in this place. That you would walk into this place, which is just a building. It's just brick, right? That's all it is. A still structure. We, get, we come. It's like, how do you build a large building as, as economical as you can so you can keep giving money back to missions around the world? That's what we did, right? Not too fancy. But we pray that God's presence would be palpable in this place. And honestly, the question I have for you is God's presence. Are you Bruce Banner? All of a sudden, the people know such a significant change in your life. Do people go, man, God's presence is palpable on you? That's, the, that's what we see throughout the Bible with people who encounter God is that God's presence is palpable in their life. We see it over and over. And so this leadership, the, the elders of this church, there's only two offices in Scripture. You're getting a handful. Today. You're getting an earful today, okay? Um, you're only two offices in Scripture, elders and deacons. Everything else we make up. Everything else we make up. Any pastor out there, where am I? Boom. Any pastor out there, come talk to me about it. Because then we end up with all these other different roles and all these different functions. We can't find it in Scripture. We have elders who are overseers of the ministry. We have deacons who are people who serve the ministry of the church. That's it. So guess what we have? Elders and deacons. That's all. 
That's all we have. We're just going to be obedient to the word of God for what it is. And so we want God to be present and palpable in this place. We're going to seek Holy Spirit's direction so the elders are attuned and obedient to his promptings. That's why I say it all the time in meetings. If you haven't prayed about it, you don't speak about it. I don't care about your opinion. I don't care about your preference. I do care about what God is speaking to you about on behalf of this ministry. But about your personal preference, I don't care. I care about the word of God. Does that seem harsh? I think it seems biblical. That's what we want to do. Today, we allow too many people's preferences to determine our emotions and our feelings and where we go in life and what we do rather than the word of God. When someone says, I think, I don't care. What I care about is when the word of God says, this is what it is. You follow me on this? Someone says, I think, I want to know if they've gone to the word, to scripture, to prayer, to say, hey, I think God could be wanting to do such and such with you. But we're making all of our decisions based on our own preferences. And so we want God's presence to be palpable, so we call out to him. We pray often and we pray first no matter what, Romans 8, 16. So I'm going to give you these five values. God's presence is palpable first. I'm going to give you a couple passages to go with it. Knowing that some of these passages are interchangeable, so you're going to see them in different places on your page. You're going to be like, well, that's down here on purpose, okay? Don't worry about it. I'm going to give you a couple passages to go with it, and then I'm going to give you a biblical example. God's presence is palpable. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Pretty good, right? We're children of God. He is to dwell within us. When people look at you, they should go, oh my, he or she is different. Psalm 141, verse 2, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. We need to recognize that we want him so present amongst us individually, but also as a church, that you, you can smell it, you can taste it, you see it, you walk in into even your home. We want people to walk into your home and go, why is this place different? Best compliment I got is when some people came over one time, and they're like, you're home. And I have, I have four kids and a wife. Um, and they came, they're like, this place is so peaceful. I'm like, I have four kids. They're like, no, it's just... There's, right? We want the Holy Spirit to be present and palpable, God palpable in your own life, in your own home, in this church, in this ministry. And if he's not palpable in your life, he can't be palpable in this place. It's that simple. I'll give you an, uh, an example of this is Stephen. Write down Stephen, Acts 6 and 7. So I'm going to ask that you read about each of these people throughout the week with your family or friend. Okay, family or friend. You're going to read through this and you're going to talk about it. Stephen is an example of somebody whose God's presence was palpable in his life. Acts chapter 6, 8, and 10, um, it tells us multiple times that Stephen was full of grace and power. So God's presence was on him. So much so that he was doing great wonders, great signs amongst the people. A lot of the, the leaders, the synagogue rulers came up and they just started to to dispute among Stephen. How can you say things about Jesus Christ like this? It's not true. I can't believe you're saying this, etc. But it says in verse 10, Acts 6, verse 10, it says, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit from which whom he was speaking. They, could, they, couldn't, they couldn't stand up to what he was doing because God's presence, Holy Spirit, was so palpable in his life that they, they had nothing to say. They just knew that they didn't like it. God's presence was so palpable, and he lost it, friends. Stephen, if you read the story, you need to know he was stoned for his faith. 
But the presence of God was so palpable in his life. He was so bold in his life. God worked through him in such a, a, a magnificent way that they, here come these religious leaders and like, hold up, man, you can't be doing this. But they couldn't withstand. They could not stand up to him because of God's presence in his life. That's what we are praying for. That's what we're praying for. That God's presence will be palpable in this place. Second thing, that loving, relationship, um, that loving relationships set the tone for community. Loving relationships set the tone for community. Intentional, proactive efforts to build loving, caring, godly, accountable relationships. A culture of accountability based on love and truth, which means we need to engage in relationships in a different manner because we know that we live in West Michigan. Us West Michiganders, which I refer to myself as now, even though I think it's a really weird way to call us out, West Michiganders. Um, so here we are. What we do is we go home and we, I'm, I, I think it's interesting. It's entertaining to watch people drive into the garage and before their car is even off, they've already shut that garage door. You are not talking to me right like that's how we are so many people now not my cul-de-sac my cul-de-sac will just walk right into your house right and i love that but we here we are so many and we are very reserved i don't think we're a conservative region but i think we're a reserved region and so what we do is we close the door we need to engage in relationships more robustly than ever before with the community and the people at our places of employment, all of it, we need to engage it. So if you've been one, two, three, one, two, three, if you've been hit by lightning, you're engaging in loving relationships, which sets the tone for community and everything else. That, might, that means we want every small group to adopt a missionary or a school or a business or something, a civic union, whatever it is, to influence them. Because if you're in relationship with each other, one of the things that that means is you can hold each other accountable better. You can step in and say, hey, I see this in your life. This is not what God wants. There's so much more for you. But if you don't have a relationship, you don't have anywhere to stand. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's what relationships allow. But also it says 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We have a relationship in which we're willing to serve and to care other, for other people. We want to do that no matter what, the very best way we can. I'll give you an example of this. Um, Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So you've got two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. This is just before his final week, entering Jerusalem for the very last time. And if you need some scripture with this, you can go to Luke chapter 10, also John chapter 11. You can read about this. Luke chapter 10, John chapter 11. What you find here is in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it tells us that Martha opened her home to Jesus. She heard, here comes Jesus. These were, they were close friends with each other. They shared all that they had along with one another. They shared their resources, right? John 11, 21 through 23, this is after Lazarus had died. Remember, Jesus, they're like, why don't you come earlier kind of thing? They wanted Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus. Well, he didn't go. In John chapter 11, verse 21 through 23, what it tells us is that Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give it to you. So even though was, her brother is now dead, she spoke with respect and they loved one another, but she also still trusted in him. 
It's an example of a loving relationship that even when hard things go, a couple weeks ago, I told you the majority of people are one bad event away from stepping away from God because we think God is here to serve us rather than us serving him. Well, here a bad event happens, and yet they're still in a healthy relationship. And that relationship set the tone for so much in terms of ministry. So yes, we want God's empowering presence to be palpable. We want loving relationships to set the tone for community. Third, and I know I'm going fast, but third is we want discipleship to be a way of life. We want discipleship to be our heartbeat. Right? It's who we are, not simply what we do. And we want the congregation to embody discipleship multiplication from birth until your death. We want people uh, to be able to share their faith, to, to talk about what God has done in their life, and we want to teach you how to do it. Because, friends, if you're a mature believer, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you think that if you're a mature believer, you are, you're discipling someone. If not, there's a, there's, there's a disconnect. If you're a mature believer, you're discipling someone. Now, right now, I know I might be scaring some people off, but that's okay. I'd rather have uh, 500 warriors beside me than thousands of people who are like, oh, I'm kind of in, kind of not. Right? But if you're just, I'll give you an example of this. I'll give you a biblical example. It would be Paul discipling Timothy. Before, Paul discipling Timothy is an amazing story. That's the example I want to give you. But first, listen to this. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It says you, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is as Jesus is launching his messianic ministry. And he says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, the light that you're shining, Bruce Banner, he is not like him anymore. He's now green and big. You are so significantly different. You've been hit by lightning that now it cannot be hidden under a bowl. You must impact others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to love other people in a radical way. By the, it tells us, John 13, 35, that by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's an example of what Paul did for Timothy. Paul discipled Timothy. In one of the first letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, in 1 Timothy, he refers to Timothy as his son, my, true, my one son. Now, that's not speaking biologically, but it's talking about him. He took on this position as a spiritual father to Timothy, and he began to disciple him. We first met Timothy in Acts chapter 16 when Paul picks him up on the way to Lystra and all of a sudden Timothy is assisting him and serving him and helping him and being mentored by him and Paul just keeps pouring into him so much so that later on what we see in Paul's second letter to Timothy it says, you know what, you know how I teach, you know how I live, you know the purpose of my life, you know my faith, you know my patience, you know my love. And then he ends up calling him out and he says, you know what? You are now my fellow worker in Romans 16, 21. Romans 16, 21. You're now my colleague. You're now my co-laborer. You disciple others to raise him up because your life has been hit by lightning. You're now modeling Jesus in such a significant, radical way that you want others to learn from you because you are sold out to Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, you disciple them in order to send them out. That is the role and the goal of every single church that claims Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. 
And you're going, all of a sudden, what just happened to the pastor? What happened to the pastor is I'm so frustrated at times with what we have made the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ exists here to give glory to God, to serve his purpose, his ways, to make disciples throughout every single nation. And if you don't get that, you haven't been hit by lightning. I'd rather you just understand it now than live with your head in the sand. This is the word of God, and this is what we believe in. No matter what. So we want discipleship to be a way of life. Fourth thing, we want everyone to own their own ministry area with their spiritual giftedness. Believers own ministry in their areas of spiritual giftedness. Right? We want to lead people into a culture of high biblical expectations. We don't, make up, we don't add to Scripture. We don't, we don't take away from Scripture. That's the rule. We don't make up our own rules. Right? But we also don't remove from his rules, his guidance. That's hard to hear. But you need to know who we are. And we are, friends, we are understanding with the gospel of Jesus. And we need all of you to know what your gifts are, your spiritual gifts, right? Some of the spiritual gifts could be hospitality or helps or leadership, mercy, serving, teaching, shepherding, faith, evangelism, discernment, whatever your gifts are. We want to help you learn what they are, and then we need you to lose those, we need you to utilize those gifts to serve the bride of Christ. That's part of the way that God's presence will be made palpable in this place. It's the reason I'm always short somewhere. 10, 15 staff members, always. I'm always short a lot of staff. It forces us. One, it's not always by design, but sometimes it is by design, meaning it allows us to give back now just over three times more than the average church gives back to missions around the world. That's why in the next, four to, in the next three years, we're going to give away. The goal is at $5 million. I mean, We're saying four, but let's just be honest. I'm saying five. Um, so we want to give away $5 million in the next three years to people all around the world. We want you to use your giftedness because it allows us to do that, but also it forces us to equip you and to engage with you so that you use your gifts of admin administration, of shepherding, of care, of generosity, whatever it is. We need your help because we're the body of Christ together. You are not designed to, to be hit by lightning and then come to a church as a consumer. You are designed by God, if you have been hit by lightning, to come to a church and to be a partner in the furthering of the ministry to impact people with Jesus Christ. You follow me? You, I know, friends, this service is probably the one most full of people who aren't partners. Who are, The majority of people in this room probably are consumers. Meaning you're, tr- you're testing it out, you're seeing what it is, I get it, that's fine. But no, biblical expectations is if you claim to know Jesus Christ in your, as your Lord and Savior, you're biblically obliga- obligated to serve the bride of Christ, which is the church. I'm going to let that soak in. I mean, I don't add to Scripture. I don't remove Scripture. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ 
you are serving. We get to serve him. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you're the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So if you're not serving in the ways in which God has gifted you, friends, we're missing out. You're cheating us from how God has gifted you. Some of you are gifted in cooking steak, and that means you could do that on a Monday, and the staff is missing out. Some of you are gifted, though, in serving in an administration, and we're missing out. Some of you are gifted in giving, and you're not giving because you spend all your resources on yourself. And you're not exercising those gifts. Some of you are gifted in shepherding, and we need people in care, and we need people to help shepherd and care for other people. I'll give you an example of somebody who lived in their own spiritual giftedness. This one's going to throw you off a little bit. Phoebe, Romans 16, 1 through 2. Amazing woman. Romans 16, 1 and 2. She's a believer. She has a gift of serving. She's actually referred to as a deaconess. Deacon means one who serves. That's what it means biblically. Um, Paul mentions her in Romans 16, 1 through 2. She served in the church. She helped plant churches. She opened up her home for churches. Her gift edified and encouraged the church. The ministry grew as a result. The Lord was glorified. Amazing things were happening, partially because here's someone who gave up their giftedness, their talents, to help the kingdom of God. That's how God has designed it. Lastly, fifth thing, fifth value. So these are the things. Ten years ago, the leaders of this church said, you know what? We know these are biblical things. We want to go find someone who can help us accomplish those things together with us. That's, all, that's, that's my job, right? Fifth value is that we're engaged, enthusiastically engaged in kingdom expansion. One of the jobs that I have as the pastor of this church is to keep the eyes of Chapel Point off of Chapel Point. And to serve a broken world. So we're going to care for the people inside of Chapel Point. Please hear me say that. But God's call is greater than just serving the people within these walls. And we want to impact the, the, the spheres of influence that we have in our own lives, the surrounding culture. And we're going to reach out into the furthest parts of the world, the Great Commission, with the goodness of who Jesus Christ is. We're going to send our resources. We're going to do everything we can to do that. When we started engaging this, we ended up launching something. Some of you know this. We call it Be the Church. It's a nonprofit on its own. All right? We started this the day after COVID hit. I ask churches and ministries all the time that I meet with, I'm like, what did you do the first 30 to 60 days after COVID? Because if we represent the light of the world, we shouldn't have had the same posture as the world. And so what we did is we spent tens of thousands of dollars supporting local schools with technology. We engaged with their teachers, but also we brought in local pastors. We gave them access to all of our technology, and we allowed them to use that to be pushed out to all of their congregants because we don't care about territorialism. We care about the kingdom of God growing. That's it. And so we started something called Be the Church in which we do leadership cohorts and discipleship um, and conferences on a regular basis. What that means is we have um, dozens of pastors within the state of Michigan. We've been asked to do the leadership development and church revitalization for the state convention of Michigan. It's about 200-ish churches. As of this last week, we were also asked initially to, to champion the state of Connecticut, but now they've expanded that to all of New England. Um, and so now what we do is we get to build up other leaders as a congregation, as a church. 
we get to build into them to let Jesus be made known. Because you're going, I don't know if I've ever heard of Be the Church. We're okay with that. Our goal, even as a congregation, is to be the least known leaders in the most powerful movement since the Great Awakening. We don't need you to know our name. We need you to know the name of Jesus. We're scared of pride. We're scared of being made known. And so we want to be the least known leaders in the most powerful movement since the Great Awakening. And now we're going to impact roughly seven different states. And we're looking at roughly four to 500 churches that we get to engage with. It's a lot of fun to think about because that's us being engaged in kingdom expansion. It's why we're even adopting different regions of the world. The Northeast is one of the areas that we're adopting. We've also adopted about 12 churches in the Philippines and the seminary. We're heading over there in August, and we're going to be able to pour into them, and we're hoping that expands to 40 to 50 churches in five years because they will just start churches all over the place. So that's what we're trying to do. And if we're healthy, one of the values of this church, that means you are engaged in kingdom expansion. In the next three years, we want 500 people to go on short-term missions. Yes, I expect you to give up a week of vacation to go serve the Lord. For me not to expect for you to give up a week of vacation to go serve the Lord is dumbfounding to me if you've been one, two, three, hit by lightning. And so we are looking at biblical expectations. Here's an example of that, Paul and Barnabas. You can go different places to learn about them. Paul had several missionary journeys, three primary missionary journeys. On the first one, he took Barnabas, and they primarily reached out to Gentiles. Um, They left from Antioch. They go back to Antioch, and then they jump into a second journey together, but they ended up butting heads, and so they had two teams and go out. They served even, I love it. They butted heads. They sent out two teams instead of one, so more people heard about Jesus. I love how God takes our brokenness and uses it for his good. This is what we're about. This is what we're asking for you to examine if you're about. Do you want God's presence to be powerful in your life? Do you want to engage in kingdom expansion? Do you want to use your gifts to serve the bride of Christ? You want discipleship to be a way of life? If you're a mature disciple, you're discipling someone else. I cannot say that enough. Somewhere, somehow. You've got these people who followed Jesus Christ. Only one of them was not martyred. Only one of them died of old age, John. That's it. Everyone else speared or something because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Why were they willing to have that posture? Because they had been hit by lightning. And I'm asking for you to examine if you've truly been hit by lightning and as a result, you're willing to be biblical and your desire to disciple others, to speak boldly about the greatness of who Jesus Christ is. Is this who you are? Are you willing to partner with us in a radical way? And you'll hear very clearly next week about what that partnership looks like and what we're really going to be doing. Are you willing to join with us if you've been hit by lightning? This is the only question. If you've been hit by lightning, has God, you have to engage with the bride of Christ. Biblical mandate. You have no choice. God said, I will use my church. You have no choice. And you can then say, oh, but they're, 
though churches today are hypocritical, we are hypocritical. We are hypocritical. You know what I'm not? We're sinners, but guess what? We have grace. So show some grace. The only question you have to ask is, if you've been hit by lightning, is God calling you to partner with this church or some other church? That's it. And we're letting you know that we want the Holy Spirit to be dripping off of you. We want you to engage in kingdom expansion with us for discipleship to be so deep, part of your life, that you're the first ones to call out someone and say, hey, can, can I show you the gospel of John and what it really says about who Jesus is? If you've been hit by lightning, this is a natural posture for your life, what I'm speaking right now. It's a natural posture for your life. You're so busy loving and serving, you don't have time to complain. So I'm going to ask you, Have you been hit by lightning? Because you can't be hit by lightning and not have a heart to serve the King of Kings. Can't do it. And so, Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the passion that you have for us, the grace that you have. God, I'm, I'm asking that you allow us as your church, every single one of us, because we're the body of Christ together, parts of it, allow us to examine if we've really been hit by lightning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ filling our life with grace and love and joy and peace and contentment. God, may we serve you in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.